0: what's happening with Sony and what we're going to be able to do with regards to our diversity initiatives. We just had the year anniversary of the launch of Sony Pictures Action. So in the wake of the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and the many, many, many others who preceded them, and the cries for racial just or social justice that came out last summer, we established a, a group called Sony Pictures Action, that is the studio's multi-pronged, ongoing approach to forwarding social justice. And we, we look at it in, in four different pillars. We, we look at it as our people, the people with whom we work at the studio, um, our partnerships, the people like La Femme with whom we work and, and you know reach out to the community, both for uh, bringing executives into and, and also talent into. Our content, which of course is the stories we tell and the people that are telling those stories. And then our community, which is literally the community within we, which we live.
1: Welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning the little, dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Today, my guest is Brett King, and I have to just say I'm so happy to have you with us. You know, Brett started off uh, as a consultant for HBO Access, as well as Disney, ABC television. He was a freelance writer, producer for Revolt Television. He was a staff uh, producer for the commercial parodies at Saturday Night Live while he was moonlighting as a DJ, but currently he is the vice president of Creative Programming Diversity and inclusion for Sony Pictures Entertainment, where he works with both Sony Pictures Television and the Motion Picture Group to identify and advance opportunities for diversity and inclusion throughout the studio. He oversees Sony Pictures Television Diversity Directors Program, as well as the studio's Writers Program, both designated to provide opportunity for women and ethnic minorities in scripted episodic television. Oh, my gosh, Brett. How are you? And thank you for coming on board. <laughs> I'm very,
2: very happy to be here. I'm exhausted from that introduction. It's like you know when you when you've been doing it a while, intros take like a long time. So yes, I, I I've had uh, the the, the, the DNI work is like my third career. So you know, I was a producer in New York, and then I was a creative executive for many years here, creative executive and producer, and then uh, now uh, firmly entrenched in the DNI space. So, um, it's, it's, it's a good third act so far.
1: It's a good third act. You know, um, I, I was floored when I was, um, you know, going through this, that, that you, uh, started your career off, right? With Saturday Night Live and doing these, these parodies, but what really was your launch into entertainment?
2: Uh, well, I moved to New York uh, in the early '80s, and as I, as you can see, like looking around my uh, my my house, I have um, a lot of artifacts and art from that time. Because uh, when I got to New York, it was the start of the downtown art revolution. So I was very, very, very involved in the art scene and. Um, I was, uh, you know, DJing in underground hip hop clubs, and I was uh, working at experimental art centers with experimental producers, etc. For quite some time, was truly entrenched in that world until I realized I did not have a trust fund to fall back on, like everybody else did in that universe. And uh, pepperoni on my pizza should not be a financial decision, but in fact something that I could, you know, I should be able to just afford and decide. Uh, so I switched to straight production and. Uh, I I worked my way up the food chain um, doing music videos, short films, uh, documentaries, features, anything um, until I was at Saturday Night Live. And as you mentioned, I used to uh, produce the commercial parodies there for a few seasons. After that, I started my own production company and I was again doing short films, music videos, documentaries. And I got a call from Quincy Jones, who asked me to come out here to Los Angeles to see if I would like to be a television executive. And um, I always knew I needed an entree if I was going to come to Los Angeles and be in the TV biz. And uh, Quincy certainly provided that entree. So I worked with Quincy for a little while and worked on shows like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I started Vibe Magazine while I was there. And then uh, went to a series of studios and networks, uh, Paramount Studios, Fox Television Studios, the WB, till there was no more WB. And then my last big executive gig was at BET, where I was the uh, head of original programming under Reggie Hudlin. And uh, I took all that work and uh, decided to do some of my own shows, sell some of my own shows. So I sold a bunch of TV shows. Those TV shows didn't get made, so I didn't get paid. And uh, I had children who wanted to eat on a daily basis. So uh, we went back into... uh, I kind of put the feelers out to return to the studio world and got a call from... My now boss, Paul Martin, who's the chief diversity officer of Sony Pictures Entertainment, he asked if I'd want to come on board and help him put together some uh, talent outreach programs, uh, beginning with the diverse directors program.
1: Okay, so having this long legacy uh, ramp of your experience, uh, working at um, BET and some of these other networks, and you know, bringing your, your comedy writing and producing from SNL... How do you feel uh, that, you know, all this experience has, I guess, culminated you into really understanding how to make television available to the masses, especially, you know, comedy, since that's your, you know, your, your, your vein.
0: So I I certainly worked in comedy at SNL and I was, I was a, a producer, but not a writing producer at that time i um I was the film unit producer I you know budgeted the the, the projects uh, put together the crews et cetera hired hired uh, directors on occasion that we usually had just a few folks that we worked with um, but at any rate i've worked in comedy and in drama as you know as a, as a current executive, which is my uh, my my kind of one of my favorite jobs um, i 've overseen you know literally hundreds of hours of the creation of television both for you know for drama for comedy for first run syndication. For uh, premium cable, for streaming. Um, You know, I've produced MOWs. Um, So I've kind of done a little bit of everything. And what, having done a little bit of everything, particularly having started in production and moved on to the creative side, um, I think gives me the ability to kind of speak to anyone on either side of the camera because I'm very very aware of the process that they are going through how it's being made the sacrifices that are taking place the difficulties involved so um I think that I am uh generally speaking working in a in a studio environment um as what I like to call an inside agitator um I'm I'm able to advocate for on behalf of the producers and writers with whom I I work um, when I'm when I'm speaking to the studio, and when I'm speaking to the producers and writers with whom I get to work on behalf of the studio, I'm able to speak their language as well. So I think that um, having uh, kind of a broad swath of experience has given me the ability to see kind of broadly where we have the ability to make impact. You know, I often try to say that um, you know at, at DNI we don't try to. You know, we're not trying to change the world. You know, we try to get in where we fit in. And what we're what we about is we're, present, we're about presenting opportunity, not exercising moral obligations. So you're, whenever you're working with folks from my diverse writers program or the diverse directors program or directors that I'm recommending for, um, uh, for episodic assignments or writers that I'm recommending for staffing or development, I'm, I'm doing that in a way that, that respects their, their backgrounds, their authenticity, and I'm trying to present this as someone, here are people that you may not have had the opportunity to, uh, to connect with, and because of the unique outreach that we do, um, I'm able to connect you with them, and not only are they going to improve the process through their unique worldview and life experience, they are going to they're gonna add value to your proje- production. So often, when people speak of diversity and inclusion, they think about um, uh, quotas or compromise, and that is never what we're about in any way, shape, or form.
1: Your focus of empowerment in diversity was that always with you? Uh, you know, did it just increase through through the years, um, especially in your in your position now at at Sony?
0: Well, you know. I've always been black, you know. You know I've stuck with that. I've been
1: that's, that's not going to change, right?
0: Stuck with that, you know. Just uh, you know, that's that's one that I began with early on, and 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 I just I ran with it. Um, so, I, you know, as a consequence, certainly um, uh, ideas of inclusion and diversity have been important to me throughout my career, and I have often been, you know, the only black face in a in, in a sea of white faces. Um, so. What's fascinating for uh, what's happening in my position now is um, as an executive, like, say, for instance, when I was vice president of Current at Paramount Pictures Television, right? So that was a, a really, really um, very active studio. We were doing a bunch of TV shows, but they were largely conservative and, you know, largely Caucasian and focused, you know, on, on a number of them. Um, so I would often make efforts to bring women or people of color or somebody a little bit left of center into those rooms by introducing them to producers, et cetera. But you, as a, as an executive of color in a traditional studio setting as a traditional studio executive, you have to have, you have to walk a fine line. You, you can't only advocate for diverse candidates or you become that guy. Now it is my job. It is absolutely my, it is, it is my mandate to find underrepresented voices, to, you know, find areas of connection, to be a diversity dot connector, so to speak, at the studio. So what's great about it now is that I'm able to do this without any limitation. And um, uh, it is enormously gratifying when you're able to, you know, bring people into the fold who might not have had an opportunity to do so before. So it's been... It's been a, a remarkable, remarkable position. I, I've been having, it's it's probably the best job I've ever had.
1: I know for a fact you do it very, very well. Um, but along those lines, oh, um, what makes that next generation of filmmaker attractive to the studios within your department? You know, what are, are you kind of, um, I guess, gravitating to in, in, in when you're looking for that diversity within your programs?
0: I have two kind of signature uh, talent outreach Mm -hmm. programs. I I mean, I do talent outreach all the time. I go to, you know, film festivals like La Femme Mm -hmm. and meet with filmmakers. Mm -hmm. I go to, um, you know, upcoming in a couple of weeks is the National Association of Latino Independent Producers. So I'll be going to Mm -hmm. that and, you know, presenting some content, et cetera. So I'm I'm always doing outreach and I'm always meeting with people and I'm always, you know, uh, uh, being introduced to new people. But our signature programs for talent outreach are the diverse writers mm-hmm. program and the diverse uh, directors program, both of which are housed in the television group. Right. And the way that we, uh, what, what we look for uh, when we're looking at those folks are people with um, uh, specific, light, uh, interesting life experiences mm-hmm. and the ability to, to have, to be authentic storytellers, mm-hmm. whether they're telling story with a camera or whether they're telling story um, on the mm-hmm. page. Um, so, uh, you know, we find that, um, so for instance, we had a really interesting, uh, kind of experiment mm-hmm. just now. We just launched our diverse writers okay. program and it was a newly expanded version. So, um, we, we, we've, we've piloted before, but this is the first time we've really gone right. all in. And what we did was we, uh, we, we reached out to a number of, uh, agents, managers, and, the uh, media affinity partners that we have that I, like I just discussed, like the, capes and La and th- th- those kind of folks. Of and, uh, had everybody nominate a few writers to, uh, for that. They felt were either ready to staff or ready to develop. And through that process, we got about 150 writers. We worked with a, um, a script review and rating service called Coverfly to bring that down to a more reasonable number. And then we took that reasonable number into the studio and each of those scripts got several reads by several of our executives. And then we ended up meeting with the top 30 people. Now, up until that time, it's 150 down to 30. Up until that time, we had no idea of gender, race, name, representation, anything. It was blind reads. The title page was removed from every script. Just all we got to read was the quality of the script. Right? And then, um, uh, because it is still a human-driven function, we, we did want to meet who, who we were talking to. So we met with the top 30. And from that 30, we brought in 16 writers that we will do some professional development and uh, creative networking and meetings, et cetera. Some mentorship, uh, development opportunities, et cetera. So we're working on that right now, but what's interesting about it is we went to all the traditional places and then we did a little bit more outreach to non-traditional places. And out of 150 writers, we have 16 writers. And out of those 16, only three are represented by major agencies or, or management companies.
1: That's awesome. And,
0: Four of the group came from our media affinity partners, one from ABFF, one from Nailief, one from Coverfly, the the service. Mm -hmm. and one.
1: Which is remarkable.
0: Which is remarkable. Okay, that's remarkable. And that is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be finding voices and people that they normally would not be able to find through their normal search process. Normally, you have an open writing assignment or you're staffing a show. You pick up and call the major agencies and see who they have. And in this, in in looking at a great survey of very talented people, only three of those 16 uh, may, uh, represented by the major agencies. So interesting.
1: Not only is it amazing, but it really gives hope to those out there that are not represented, that do really have quality talent, that just haven't been able to, you know, break through that ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super, super interesting. When or now that you have these filmmakers in the program, how are you refining those skills? How are you working with them, you know, to improve those skills and and really develop them? Can you give me, you know, some examples?
0: So, um, sure, sure. Uh, With the writers, we're doing a few things. So we meet twice a week on Monday evenings and on Friday afternoons. On Monday evenings, we have a curriculum that um, I put together with uh, Kelly Edwards, who I'm sure you know, who was uh, formerly at HBO talent development producer, formerly now writing. I don't know if you know this. She's staffed on a uh, on a Fox show. I didn't know that. Um, she's going <laughs> yeah, she's gonna be doing um, my kind of people, our kind of people, our kind of people. I think it's the name of the show, Lee uh, Lee Daniels show. Uh, nighttime, so, yeah, I'm really, really excited for her. But anyway, she, uh, she, she has been running a, a writer's program at, um, at HBO for several years. She's a recent writing Sundance fellow. She literally just wrote the book on uh, writing for television that's going to be published in October. So I thought she was a perfect person to bring on board. And so we've been having these Zoom meetings and um, we've been doing things like our first evening was around um, crafting your personal narrative. You know, one of the first things that you're ever going to, one of the things you're going to be asked again and again and again and again on the come up is, well, tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Right. And that's where they, that's where they get stumped.
0: <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, who's used to selling themselves, right? You know, they, but nobody right. knows. And especially do
1: that, right? not writers. Especially yeah. writers. Right. And,
0: uh, and, and so, um, you know, you have to have, just like you have when you, when you have a project, you have to have your elevator pitch for yourself. You have to have like the three, three line log line and then you have to have like the 15 minute presentation of who you are. And in each of those presentations, you have to make sure that you are presenting the parts of yourself that are going to be appealing to a writer or to someone who is trying to hire writers. Right. So you can't just the, the, the biggest problem with um, anyone going into these general meetings is they believe that they're going in and just to have a conversation. And that is not the case they are presenting themselves and they're selling themselves just as hard as they might be pitching the project that they brought to this pod company. So out of the gate, we, we began with the conversation, how do you best present yourself? And it was just a tremendous, you know, two hour discussion that we could have gone for two more hours on, which was just wonderful, you know? Um, so that's one of the things we did. Um, Um, you know, we've connected some of the folks with, uh, uh, with Final Draft, so everybody's going to get a free upgrade to the you know the most uh, souped-up version, the Final Draft, um, where uh, we had a tremendous trio of female executives um, speak to the group yesterday. Uh, Karen Tedovosian, who's our Executive Vice President of uh, Business Affairs, runs Business Affairs for the TV studio, uh, Catherine Busby, who is the EVP of TriStar Television, and Marie Jacobson, who is the EVP of Gemstone Studios. So three three easy (laughs) things, running things at the studio, uh, speaking to them about how we do development and the various ways, uh, as we like to say that Sonny, the various paths to yes um, in in working with the studio. Uh, And then we're going to be, I'm working with uh, Rabia Rashid, um, who's the executive producer of Atypical to identify mentors um, for all of the writers. So the mentors will be working with them uh refining their lead sample um we're going to be working with them on the on, on the art of pitching and each will have the opportunity to pitch to our development teams so it's a it's a ridiculously fun program and the uh the upshot is we will ultimately out of that group of 16 um we will negotiate up to 4 blind script deals for development in comedy and drama and each writer if they're staffed out of the program Onto a Sony show within the first year of the, after they leave the program, um, we will pay for half of their salary to incentivize the producer. Oh, that's amazing! To hire them, and that's been very successful because we've already staffed two people out of the.
1: Purpose. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's 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 yeah. amazing. We're doing okay. That's good. That's good. Now you also have Sony also has a directors program. So h- how does that work? And now how are you nurturing? What's the process for that? for them, and what's the nurturing process that you go through with the directors?
0: So the director's program has been kind of our signature program. Um, We've done it. uh, We've had six cohorts so far, and we've had um, truly remarkable graduates. Barry Jenkins was in our first year uh, cohort and credits the program with reconnecting him to Hollywood and getting him back on the horse. Anish Chaganti, who did searching for the studio uh, for Screen Gems and is now producing Searching 2. Um, went through the program. Sally Richardson Whitfield, who works so much that we can't even hire her anymore. She's doing she's an overall deal Warner Brothers. Pete Chapman, who again, I'm I'm trying to get this brother back to the studio, but he's booked for like a year in advance. So we've we've had a really uh, wonderful group of of graduates. And the way the program works is towards the end of summer, I will put. Well, generally it's been at the beginning of the summer, but because of COVID and timing and a number of reasons. Um, this year, towards the end of the summer, right around Labor Day, we'll put out a um, uh, call for entries. An entry is a single piece of content, either a film, uh, an episode of television, a webisode, uh, a music video. It can be anything with, with that tells uh, showcases your ability to tell a story with a camera. Shorts as well. And, you know, the idea is... Uh, Every, there are certain barriers to each of those categories. So if it's a webisode, it has to have at least 25,000 views. If it's a short, it has to have been exhibited in a major film festival. Um, if it's a feature, it has to have received distribution or exhibition in a major film festival. Um, if it's a music video, it has to be a billboard charting artist, etc. The idea being, we don't want just anyone who has a camera to just pick it up and say, I really want it to direct for television. The people that we're looking for are people who've been in the trenches, who've been making it happen, and for one reason or another, I've been longingly looking at the director's chair, but have not been able to make that leap just yet. The director's chair for episodic television. Um, so I need to have people that I can present to a showrunner. And like I said before, with, with people that I, I I like to work with, this individual is um, accomplished, has been doing the do on their own outside of the traditional system, is ready to direct your show and will not break your multimillion dollar baby. You know, so I we can't have somebody who's just like, you know, fresh out of film school or somebody who is um, or just entering film school, for instance. We're really looking for people who've been, you know, working in commercials or branded marketing or perhaps an independent film or documentary film. Um, uh, So people, again, that I can put in front of a showrunner and have a chance of getting them hired. So we put out the call for entries. um, uh, We review those entries. We ultimately bring in 12 directors. We usually get around. 300 or so entries. We ultimately bring in 12 directors. Um, those 12 directors come to the lot um, for a series of uh, intimate meetings uh, with uh, working directors and uh, creative executives, producers, showrunners, etc. And then also, like we do with the writers, larger industry insights where we'll introduce you know new technology, um, industry overviews with the president of television and the head of business affairs, things like that. Um, while all that's going on, the work of those directors that got them into the program is being reviewed by the current department and by participating showrunners to see on, uh, for what show these directors might be best suited to shadow. And so if they, go, if they get chosen to shadow, then we, we, we try to connect people with their, their first choices. Uh, if they shadow on a show, they shadow for the entirety of an episode, uh, you know, prep production and post, and get paid for their, their time there. And, uh, once they're done with that, I meet with the executive producer and the, uh, the producing director. And I say, wasn't that person wonderful? Don't you want them to direct your series next year? (laughs) And they say, yes, you've done it again. I must have them behind the camera for my show. No, that does not happen very often, but, uh, we have done that a number of times. I mean, my, uh, Sony Pictures Television Diverse Directors Program alumni have directed, um, close to 30 episodes of, of Sony TV episodes, uh, Sony t- television um, and innumerable episodes in the ecosystem. Um, and about four directors have gone directly from shadowing to uh, directing the next season. Um, and those directors have gone on to, you know, do a bunch of work. And the the thing with both of these programs that I should emphasize is once you're in the program, you're in, you're in the Sony family. So I'm still, recommending people to screen gems for um you know filmmakers that i had in you know year three of the program i'm still recommending people to long-form television that i had five years ago you know it just doesn't matter like you're once you're in you're in um i have this big massive deck of uh, you know everybody with bios and links to their work etc and i put custom small decks together for recommendations um an absurd amount of time. Someone once pointed out that as I took this job and started running these diversity programs, I was going to become a manager. And I think
1: they're not (laughs) exactly wrong. (laughs) Well, you know, you you, you got a lot of years left, Brett. So, you know, (laughs) you don't know where this is going to (laughs) lead. You might be the one stop shopping um, for a management company in the future. Uh, Never, you know, never say never. I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so where do you see like the next five years of, you know, content going within your program, within what you've, you know, experienced and, and the way you're running the diversity?
0: That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, just because it's kind of broad in scope, but let me, let me think about it a little bit. So with regards to, um, what's happening with Sony and what we're going to be able to do with regards to our diversity initiatives, we just had the year anniversary of the launch of Sony Pictures Action. So in the wake of the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey and the many, many, many others who preceded them and the cries for racial justice or social justice that came out last summer, we established a, a group called Sony Pictures Action that is the studio's multi-pronged ongoing approach to forwarding social justice. And we, we look at it in, in four different pillars. We, we look at it as our people, the people with whom we work at the studio Um, our partnerships, the people like LaFemme with whom we work and, and, you know, reach out to the community, both for uh, bringing executives into and and also talent into. Our content, which of course is the stories we tell and the people that are telling those stories. And then our community, which is literally the community within which we live and making sure that we are making that place better uh, better than it was than before we got there. And Making sure that we are doing outreach to people within that community to give them inroads into our world um, so Sony Pictures action has been uh, you know in my humble opinion the the best in class studio response to um, what's been happening uh, or, or the, the the calls for justice so I think that you know some of the things that have happened with Sony Pictures Action over the course of the year have been things that don't necessarily um, you know uh, hit deadline for instance right so we are founding partners in something called Array Crew. So, Array Crew is something that was established by Ava DuVernay to increase the number of women and BIPOC um, uh, personnel in, in below the line personnel, in below the line crew positions. Something that we've been trying to do for years and years, and we were stymied for a number of different reasons. And Ava has been able to put this really, really robust program and and Sony, along with the other studios, because of Sony Pictures Action, was able to invest in that. We were offered an opportunity to be a founding partner of something called the Black Information Network. So Black Information Network is a 24-hour news surface uh, distributed by iHeartMedia in, I don't know how many markets throughout the country, many, many uh, uh, iHeartMedia targets. And also available as a um, as a daily podcast. The Black Information Network it brings critical information around Black news that simply does not touch the mainstream and is not presented in, in the mainstream. And uh, again, through Sony Pictures Action, we were able to be part of the founding partners as, of of that organization. So I guess the the uh, the the upshot is that it, it is critically important to our studio um, that uh the stories we tell are told with the most authentic voices that we can tell them and that we reach the most diverse and wide wide audiences that we can reach by telling them i'll give you an analogy um uh years ago uh was an author named thomas gibson um who was uh was all about the future he was a futurist and and used to predict future and they they asked him once um what do you think is the future of computers? What are, what are, what are computers gonna be like in the future? And he said, um, I think that they will be omnipresent and virtually invisible. He said at one time, the highest amount of technology was the electric fan. Now there's an electric fan in everything, every, every, every your world and you never even notice them, consider them, think about them, they are literally invisible to your world. Computers will continue to get smaller And and propagate and and touch more and more and more and more things and they will become omnipresent and invisible. And my hope is that D&I at Sony and at the studios becomes somewhat the same. That we are able to touch many areas of the business, that we're able to uh, create not just inclusion but expansion uh, of audiences, talent and opportunity and that we will be we will be touching things in such a way that we will be both omnipresent and invisible.
1: Well, Sony is is really the forerunner in this. Uh, you guys are leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of the other studios. Wow,
0: that's really nice of you to say. Thank you very much. That's very nice. That, that means a lot.
1: It's true. It, it's true. It's true. Um, because I I know because I'm I'm you know touching base with a lot of the inclusion and diversity departments at the at the other the other places. Um, <laughs> So, you know, you really have made some strides that I think will land major effects in the next five years. That's so, you know, well. congratulations to you for doing that. Yeah. What, um, two last questions, what what advice would you give to new filmmakers starting out? Either, di- you know, diversity, LGBT, people of color, what would that advice be?
0: I would say that... Uh... There has literally never been a time in human history that is more favorable for the creation, distribution and telling of authentic stories. Everybody that there is walks around with a 4K camera in their back pocket. The only limitation to your storytelling is your own imagination and your your motivation to make it happen. There are more channels of distribution opening than there ever were before from, you know, as simple as IG Live and Facebook Watch to, um, you know, to any of the streaming platforms that are happening to what the heck is going to happen with Roku and what they're doing. Who knows? You know, like we're in a crazy, 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 crazy time in terms of distribution. So if you are a creator and you are not creating, then it's on you. It's not on the system any longer. Um, and then I would say that, um, for writers in particular, writers who are entering into TV writers in particular that are entering into, uh, a room for the first time, or, you know, working at a writer's room or working as a writer's assistant, um, or working even as a set PA, however you're making your way into the world, uh, just be more curious than certain, you know, ask and listen. Don't think that you know already. Um, wherever possible, exceed expectations. They know when you're supposed to be there, but if you get there earlier and you stay a little bit longer and you do a little bit extra and you provide value added, then you are going to be appreciated and remembered. And then uh, the last thing is, particularly for newbies, again, um, speak when only when your voice improves the conversation. Don't speak just to be heard. Speak when you have something to say.
1: That is gold. I wish everyone would do that. (laughs) Uh, That is gold. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know how much we could accomplish if actually people did that? Um, Okay, last, last uh, question. So what's a dirty little secret that you wish somebody had told you um, that would have improved your career, your career choices, uh, that you can share with us that you've maybe learned along the way.
0: Uh, let's see. I pay real attention to your credit. <laughs> 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 That's life. That's not business, but so pay attention to your credit. Belita. You just need to do that more than you think. Okay. So, uh, but let's see. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I'll tell you. I, I I wish I'd known this, and this is something that was just mentioned the other day by a brilliant writer, uh, Sine Hoffman, who's uh, one of the executive producers of our series for Life, um, was speaking to the writers the other day, and we were talking about mentorship. And you know, I I often get calls or letters. You know, I, I wonder if you could mentor me, or you know, I'm looking for a mentor on it. And um, mentorship is where you find it. You know, my my best mentor was probably would not identify him as such himself as such, but I learned an enormous amount working with him. I had two people that I really learned how to speak to writers, how to talk about the story, how to give notes, etc. And that was John Wells, um, who was one of the first people I ever developed with. And a gentleman uh, named Ken Horton he used to be the head of current programs at, at 20th century Fox television. And those guys were not, I, I would never say to you, you were my mentor and I wouldn't and, and they would never say, I really enjoyed you when you were my time, your time as my mentee, you know, like they would never say that, but they were great, unbelievable mentors and they taught by example. So if you have people who are really good at their job working above you, note know what they're doing, look at what they're doing and recognize you are being mentored. It just doesn't have to be titled as such.
1: That's a great, great piece of, of information and and something to follow by. So I want to say thank you very much to Brett King for coming on uh, Best and Fest. For all those who want to submit their uh, film to the film festival, we're in the middle of our call for entry. So you can go to call, uh, film freeway and search on LaFemme International Film Festival or go to lafemme.org. Don't forget to like us on the podcast. Um, and you can see the video component of this podcast on the LaFemme Film Festival YouTube channel, so you can tap in there as well. I want to say thank you again to Brett King, Sony, uh, do you want to give the links for those that are listening in for the to the writers program and the directors program where they can find how to apply when those are coming up?
0: Um, you know what I'm I am in the midst of completely redesigning my directors program re- website um, and uh, part of it, unfortunately, is that we have to change the uh, the URL. So I don't have it right now, but um, I can tell you that all of my socials are. At It's Brett King. At It's Brett King. So that's on uh, Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. And if ever I'm doing anything with regards to Sony, um, it'll be up on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, So at It's Brett King, all one word.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Best in Fest with Brett King.